join me in prayer. Gracious and holy and loving God, God of all creation and God of all of our scriptures, we pray that you would breathe into us once again a spirit of wisdom and understanding that we might interpret and understand anew your word to us today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever switched sides, taken a different position, maybe changed your mind about something? Today's story from the Old Testament is about a woman named Rahab who is famous for having switched sides. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning. I hesitate to go into this story from the book of Joshua since there's a lot of troubling and controversial material in here, and many lectionaries avoid it entirely. But Rahab is also mentioned three times in the New Testament, so her story is clearly important. And I agree with Paul in 1 Timothy 3.16 when he said that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's all about how you read it. So let's see what we can learn from this part of the Hebrew Bible. Here's the story of Rahab, as you may have heard it before. God told Joshua to lead the people of Israel into the promised land after they had been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness with Moses. Once they had crossed the River Jordan into this promised land, Joshua set out to conquer the city of Jericho. So he sent a couple spies to the city to check it out. Those spies stayed with a prostitute named Rahab who lived in the wall of the city. She protected those Israelite spies and helped them escape because she believed God was on their side. In exchange for Rahab's help, the Israelites spared her and her family when they destroyed the city. And Rahab was then celebrated for her faithfulness and became the great-great-grandmother of King David. The moral of the story seems to be that God blesses those who choose to be on God's side even if they're foreigners or prostitutes. That's the traditional version. And it's pretty good. There is some grace in this story and provision. Rahab sides against her own people, the Canaanites. She harbors enemy spies. But she's saved because the people she, she helps are God's people. So in the book of Hebrews, Rahab is lifted up as an example of faith. In the book of James, she is an example of good works. In the book of Matthew, she is listed as an ancestor of Jesus. The Sunday school message of Rahab then becomes something like, make sure you're on the right side. Loyalty to God's people is what counts. Sinners and enemies can be saved as long as they're willing to convert and maybe betray their own people. But all others will be destroyed. At least that's what happens with the city of Jericho. Joshua's army is instructed to kill everyone in the city except Rahab's family. They alone are spared among the Canaanites because Rahab switched to the right side. Now, reading the Old Testament this way has led to an assumption in parts of the church 
at different points in history that salvation then also boils down to a simple choice of loyalty. You're either with us or you're against us. You're either a sinner or a saint. You can either turn to the path of righteousness or you can face the fires of hell. Joshua says to the people of God toward the end of the book, choose this day whom you will serve, either the foreign gods or the God of our ancestors. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. That's one of those famous verses you see on couch cushions. It's a good verse. And I have to say that for the most part, I've always appreciated the clarity of that decision or that choice, particularly when it comes to issues of idolatry, like we touched on last week. It seems to me that Jesus was similarly clear when he said that we can't serve both God and money. Either we'll love the one and hate the other, or we'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. We have to choose, he says. God doesn't want just part of us. God won't settle for second fiddle in our lives. God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and no idols either. It's all very clear and consistent. Repent or perish, right? And yet, (laughs) and yet, on the other hand, what does it look like to choose God over money? or the many other idols in our lives. Does that mean that we should all become homeless like Jesus was? He was homeless. Does choosing God over mammon mean that we have to sell all of our possessions and give our money to the poor, as Jesus told that one rich man to do? The older I get, the less clear some of these choices become. I wonder if any of you experienced some of that ambiguity in the discussion of the Ten Commandments that we had last week. Sometimes it can get complicated. Don't you agree? Well, it can be complicated with the story of Rahab, too. Because one big problem with this book of Joshua is how the Israelites went about taking possession of the land. What's described in this story would today be labeled as genocide. The Israelites are said to have gone into Canaan and annihilated the native people. It was was like a scorched earth campaign to forcibly take land that was not originally theirs. They burned the city of Jericho to the ground and killed all of its residents, men, women, children, everyone except Rahab's family. And the Israelites justified their atrocities by claiming divine authority. That their God had given them the land. That's the other side of the story. And if this pattern sounds at all familiar, it's probably because we know about similar conquests that have happened in recent history in other parts of the world, including ours. We call it colonialism where one group of people moves in and forcibly takes control of another group's land, often through warfare, sometimes through genocide. 
We know how white settlers took this land we are on from indigenous peoples, believing it was their manifest destiny. They appealed to this very book of Joshua to justify what they did. And today in Palestine, Zionist Jews are continuing to seize land for similar reasons, believing it to be their divine right to subdue resident Muslims and Christians. Now, I don't know about you, but this troubling history makes me wonder then about the story of Rahab. I wonder if the church may have been on the wrong side of this story for a long time. It could be that this reading, our reading, is in need of some reformation. I mean, does the God that we have known in Christ Jesus really condone that kind of conquest, that kind of oppression? Is that what it looks like for people to love their neighbors or to love foreigners or even to love enemies? Myself, by reading a good deal of critical scholarship and listening to the Holy Spirit at work in the world, I feel like I have crossed over to the other side of this particular story. I read it very differently now than I used to. I won't bore you with all the minute details of why I switch sides, but here's how it generally sounds to me now from what I think of as a reformed point of view. God told Joshua to lead the people of God into the land of the Canaanites and that God would give them possession of it. But Joshua, the Israelite, being a flawed human being as we are, he misunderstood this command. He and those with him took it to mean that they should slaughter all the local inhabitants, even though, if you read carefully, that's not exactly what God had said. Archaeologists also believe that the city of Jericho was likely already in ruins when the Israelites took it over in that part of history. This would help explain why Rahab's family was said to be living in a wall and why those walls then came tumbling down on their own. There's also some evidence, physical evidence, that there had been a plague previously in that area that wiped out most of the native inhabitants. So it seems that all the Israelites would have had to have done was to move into this area and introduce themselves. That may have been how God intended them to enter the land. But Joshua, as a new leader, he was a bit insecure. And his people were afraid. So in, in, in order to intimidate the locals, they spread word that the God of Israel was on the warpath and would slaughter everyone who stood in their way as they entered the land. As this invading army of theirs came to the city of Jericho, this rumor reached a woman named Rahab who understood that her family was in danger from a band of jihadist raiders. When a couple of enemy spies then came to town, she struck a deal with them for no other reason than survival. Rahab said, hey, I'll tell you 
everything you want to know about what is left of our city. Please just don't kill my family. And these spies readily agreed. After the city was burned to the ground, the Israelites took in Rahab's family as they had agreed to do. But this was probably a bit awkward for the invaders, having just killed all of the other Canaanites just because they were Canaanites. So they then labeled Rahab a prostitute in order to keep her in her place. They told Rahab that she would be all right among them as long as she kept to the script of Israel's strength that Joshua had promoted. Rahab then became in their community an example of the model minority, the good Canaanite. She was the exception that proved the rule that they had about foreigners. Rahab was a survivor who eventually became a legend. Does this version of the story sound at all familiar? Nowadays, Rahab kind of reminds me of uh, a woman named Pocahontas. Have you ever heard that story? There are lots of versions of that one, too. How colonists came to take this land from native peoples and they acquired women along the way. Some say Pocahontas was in need of saving from her own people. Often they say that she helped the settlers willingly because she knew they were going to win. Later generations exalted Pocahontas for her bravery, for her faith, for her faithfulness. Many still claim to have an ancestor just like her, a Native American princess. This sometimes makes descendants of white settlers feel less bad about the atrocities that were committed against Native peoples, since there was that one ancestor who was spared. What do you think is the true story of Pocahontas or Rahab? Will we ever know? Which side would you be on in this particular debate? I once asked a rabbi friend of mine how his Jewish community interprets these difficult books of the Hebrew Bible, the stories of Joshua, Judges, Kings. Oh, those, he said to me. We don't really think of those as scripture. That's just history. I thought that was interesting. Just history. It got me thinking about how often history is written by the victors. You know, there's that famous line, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. But what if the history we've been given is of the Pocahontas variety? Does God ever call us to switch sides the way that Rahab did? To reinterpret our family stories, our history? Instead of celebrating all the exploits of our ancestors, I wonder if we could learn to teach this problematic history to our children as an example of what not to do. 
Could we simply acknowledge the embarrassment of past mistakes, decide to go a different direction? I, for one, believe that that's what Jesus did. Jesus, who was surely familiar with Rahab's story since it was part of his scriptures, and also Rahab was in his family tree. So that time in Matthew 15 that I read earlier when a Canaanite woman came to him, I imagine Rahab must have come to mind in that encounter. Here was another Canaanite woman begging an Israelite, Jesus, to save her daughter. It was like Rahab negotiating with the spies to save her family. At first, Jesus refused to help, saying that he was sent only for the people of Israel. That would be the party line from Joshua. You're either with us or you're against us. You're either an Israelite or you're a dog. But this Canaanite woman persisted. And so Jesus let her speak for herself. He did not put words in her mouth as Joshua had done to Rahab. He did not put the fear of God into her, insisting that she repent or perish. Jesus did not ask anything of this Canaanite woman in return for his help. He didn't even use it as an opportunity to make himself look good. Instead, the Lord of the universe incarnate in Jesus Christ listened to this indigenous woman and acknowledged the truth of her argument that in God's kingdom there is enough power and healing for everyone, even a humble Canaanite like her. The wider witness of, of the Hebrew Scriptures is that God intended to bless Israel in order that they would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, meaning that the Canaanites were never meant to perish. Therefore, why shouldn't her daughter be healed? And so she was. And Jesus praised her. Jesus praised this woman for encouraging him to switch sides. How great is your faith, Jesus said to the Canaanite woman. In spite of all the evil that had been done to her people in the name of Israel's God, here she was reminding an Israelite of God's mercy and God's grace. Friends, we have to keep telling these stories, uncomfortable though they can sometimes be. At times, we may still want to celebrate our forebearers. Other times, we tell the history just so that we won't make the same mistakes. But all scripture is useful for teaching, for rebuke, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. But it is Christ alone whom we follow.
as he leads us in the ministry of reconciliation. Like him, may we also listen to voices long silenced. May we too attempt to right historic wrongs. And may we also sometimes switch sides, like Jesus did, in order to bless all God's people with life and life to its full. Amen.